Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Meningitis is a medical condition where uh, the tissues that cover your brain and spinal cord are inflamed. Very serious condition. And there's two types of meningitis that you can get. One is viral and one is bacterial. It's a scary diagnosis, especially for for infants, for babies. And I don't know if you know this or not, um, but last month in the month of May, we had not one but uh, two babies here at Candeo who were diagnosed with meningitis. The first was uh, Ava Nissen. I asked Katie and Elias uh, for the story, and they said on May 6th, when Ava was 10 days old, she started to run a fever. We took her to the emergency room where they, did, where they do a, a very thorough testing protocol anytime an infant that young has a fever. It's an indication that something is seriously wrong. Uh, she was running fevers as high as 104. They took blood work, spinal fluid, and urine samples, and they concluded that she had viral meningitis. But they wanted to do more testing, so they monitored her very closely and began to be alarmed by some liver function. So they had her transferred to Iowa City's Children's Hospital. That's Ava. Something very similar happened 18 days later in the Gorman family. This is the words of of Cassie and Brian as they talk about their daughter, Kirsten. On Tuesday, May 24th, Kirsten spiked a fever and was getting a little extra fussy and wasn't as energetic. As they started to treat her, they found she had an ear infection, so the doctor assumed that it was the ear infection and teeth coming in that led to the symptoms, which the Gormans agreed with the diagnosis. Uh, Cassie goes on to say that that Friday, we spent the night in the emergency room and hospital for fluids and went home thinking the antibiotics for the ear infection would do the trick. Things seemed to be going okay until Tuesday, May 31st, a week after the fever, when she had a seizure that lasted close to 70 minutes. Context In the medical world, 15 minutes is is considered long for a seizure. Uh, Brian was at the the new Top Gun movie as this was all unfolding. Before long, they were back in the emergency room. And after a CT scan, Brian and Cassie headed to the University of Iowa's Children's Hospital where they eventually did a spinal tap and confirmed it was bacterial meningitis. So they inserted a PICC line for Kirsten to receive her antibiotics. Two babies from Candeo, sent to University of Iowa with a diagnosis of meningitis. I'm telling you guys, I have a, a, a seven-year-old son now, and I don't have a category for news like that. To hear that kind of news about your child who's that young. And so I wanna ask the question this morning, what do you do when you're in, in crisis? Maybe not that specific crisis, but crisis in general. And how do you have any kind of hope in the midst of something like this? That's the the question we're going to answer this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 77. Uh, This is actually not a Psalm of David. We've been doing a lot of David's Psalms. This is one of Asaph. Uh, He's one of the leaders of of David's Levitical choir, and he wrote Psalm 73 through 83. And in this Psalm, the psalmist is in anguish. He is confused, and it feels like God has forgotten him. 
So we're going to ask the question, how does he respond in the midst of his crisis? So obviously I'm going to unpack the truth of Scripture this morning. We're going to unpack Psalm 77 together, but also I am going to continue the story of Ava and Kirsten, uh, and we're going to watch and see what it looks like for Psalm 77 to be lived out in the lives of our people. So verse 1 of Psalm 77 says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night long. I refused to be comforted. I think of God. I groan. I meditate. My spirit becomes weak. The psalmist here is lamenting. He is crying out in desperation. You can see some of the key words here. He's, he's crying aloud, hands lifted up like a posture of prayer. He refuses to be comforted. He is groaning. He feels weak. Now, the situation here is not clear. We don't know what's going on. But what is clear is that this psalmist is struggling. He's not in a great spot here. This is an earnest prayer from a troubled heart. He can't find rest and comfort, so he's crying out to God. And then you get into verses 4 through 6. And in the midst of his lament, he starts to recall some acts of God. He talks about in verse 5, days of old, back when the condition of God's people seemed to be better. And in verse 6, he starts talking about songs that the, the people of God would sing. They'd sing these at night. They were literally called songs of night. And, and they were used to kind of reflect and sing upon God's great power and works. It's supposed to bring comfort, especially in time of adversity. And the psalmist is saying, yeah, I'm, I'm singing these songs, but... I'm also struggling. He's being honest. He's groaning. He, he's becoming weak. His eyes are kept from closing. And so he starts to ask some, some pretty serious and pretty big questions. Look at verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever and never again show favor? Has his faithful love ceased forever? Is his promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger withheld his compassion? The psalmist is starting to wonder, is God going to ever show his favor again? Is he ever going to bless and forgive his people again, or is that gone? He's expressing his raw feelings towards God here. He's saying, where is your faithful love, God? I, I mean, I'm trying here. I'm doing the best I can, but where is it? The author, he's being honest, and he's asking honest questions. And if you've been with us in this psalm series, that should sound very familiar. The pattern of a lot of these psalms, especially, especially psalms of lament, is, is first to, to cry out to God. God's not offended by us crying out to him with questions like, this, like these. He's inviting us to ask these questions as our heavenly father. And this psalmist he is in trouble and he is crying out. And my guess is you've probably been there too, or maybe you are there right now. Times when it feels like God's maybe been faithful before, but it sure doesn't feel like he is right now. Moments where it feels like God isn't there, like he's used up all of his grace and there's no more left to give. Now I say that, and in your head, if you know Jesus, you know that's not true, but You've, likely you've been in that spot though where you're like, I, my head knows what's true, but my heart's not connecting the dots. My heart's not wrapping itself around the truth of what my head believes. 
And the psalm here is just letting us know with Asaph, it's all right. It's all right to cry out to God. Bring your questions to him, your thoughts and feelings. And in a lot of ways, this is how the Nissans and Gormans felt in the midst of their crisis with their children. Katie and Elias said that um, that first day was filled with a lot of tears and prayer. It was a time of dependence on God that we hadn't experienced before. We had to pray, and that was the only thing we could do. The phrase we had heard before that rang so true in this time was that she wasn't ours, but God's. We couldn't do anything to help her. They're praying, but they know we couldn't do anything to help her, and she truly was and is in God's hands. I asked the, the Gormans something similar, uh, how they cried out in the midst of their trial. And, and you can imagine some of the prayers they prayed. Um, I got a picture. Actually, I took this off of Brian's Facebook page. And this is a picture of the view from the Iowa Children's Hospital overlooking Kinnick Stadium. So you can imagine as your daughter's in, in this room, having this kind of view, the kind of prayers you would pray. Prayers like, Lord, give us wisdom and understanding to navigate this complex medical situation. That was one of Cassie's prayer. Give the doctors wisdom in solving the puzzle pieces. Cassie said, make my brain work so that I can remember the important details and remember what they tell me and what we need to do long term. They prayed simple and powerful prayers like, please heal our daughter. Please bring a miracle. Lord, take me, not her. And guys, I, when I asked Cassie and Brian for that, the answers to some of these questions that I sent them, and I read that for the first time, I was actually in sidecar in a coffee shop reading this, and I, and I read Brian's line, Lord, take me, not her. I just... <laughs> It's sort of crying, like in a public, like in a public setting, which is mildly embarrassing, I'm sure, confusing for everyone else. But I'm just, I'm sitting there putting myself in their shoes, going, I get it. I, if my son was in that spot, I would pray that. I would say, Lord, take me, not him. The spot of desperation. It's one of crisis. It's the last place you want to be as a parent. I love Kinnick Stadium. I grew up going to that stadium. I hope I never have that view. The Gorman said they were used to being in control, but in this situation, they were reminded pretty quickly that they were very much not in control. But they knew who God was, so they cried out to him. So as God's people, we cry out in our crisis. But it doesn't end there. You get to the second half of this passage and the mood begins to shift. Verse 10 is kind of like a pivot verse. It moves from anguish, lament, confusion, and crying out. And it moves towards reflection and recollection. Listen to verses 11 and 12. Circle these verses, underline these words. I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. Guys, if you remember anything from this morning, remember these two words. Remember and meditate. 
And that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's remembering the mighty works and mighty acts and miracles of God, his God. And then he's reflecting and meditating on how God has redeemed and saved his people. Again, guys, this should sound familiar as we've walked through the Psalms. We cry out to God, but then we remember who he is and what he's done. And specifically here, the psalmist is talking about what he has done, what God has done. Listen to verse 13. God, your way is holy. What God is great like God? You are the God who works wonders. You revealed your strength among the peoples with power. You redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. He is highlighting the power of God to work wonders. This is a hymn that ascribes worth to our holy God who fights for his people. And Israel would have known this, but also the nations around him who who have seen God work and now tremble at the mighty God that Israel bows to. And the psalmist here is remembering and meditating on that reality. Now, what is the psalmist exactly remembering? Well, ultimately, he's recalling God's mighty acts in the book and story of Exodus. Uh, you, you might ask, well, where do you get that from? Verse 20 is one of the key verses where he says, You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now, I don't want to assume this morning that we all know what I'm talking about when I say the Exodus. So let's go back to the Old Testament and remember a bit of what God's done. If you read through the book of Genesis, it gets to a guy named Jacob. And God is forming his family, his people, and they are formed into the Israelites. And ultimately, the Israelites are led to Egypt through one of Jacob's sons, Joseph. And things start off great for the Israelites in the land of Egypt. But 400 years later, a pharaoh is raised up who doesn't know Joseph and is intimidated and threatened by the Israelite people, so he enslaves them bad situation. So God raises up a man by the name of Moses and he sends him to Pharaoh. And Moses, by the word of the Lord, commands Pharaoh to let God's people go, but Pharaoh refuses. So God ultimately lays down these 10 horrible plagues on the Egyptian people that ends in the death of the Pharaoh's son. So finally he says, all right, Moses, take your people and go. But as, but as they go out, the Pharaoh starts to change his mind. And actually what he does is he starts gathering all the chariots and throws all of his officers in his best chariots and he chases them down. He starts chasing down the Israelites, puts all of his chips on the table. And when they reach the Israelites, the Israelites are camped by the sea, which means they've got water on one side and the army on the other. Now, how many, how many kids are from Candeo Kids right now? We got a couple, I think. Yeah, I saw some Myers. Okay, yep. So kids, if you were in that spot, I see you, Switzerland. Uh, if you're in that spot, kids, where you've got a big body of water on one side and you've got an army of people coming after you on the other side, you would look to the left and the right and you go, what are we going to do? We can't swim across that. We can't go through them. We've got nowhere to go. What do you do? Well, what did God's people do? They did what they probably shouldn't have done. They started complaining to Moses, like, oh man, why did you bring us here to die? What's this all about, Moses? And so how does Moses respond? Listen to this from the Exodus account. This will be on the screen. But Moses said to the people, 
Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, will, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. I love that. Translation, zip your lips and watch the Lord work, right? So then something crazy begins to happen and God starts to work. Look at this. Then the angel of God who was going in front of the Israelite forces moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from the, in the front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. There was a cloud and darkness and it lit up the night and neither group came near the other all night long. And then kind of the familiar part of this story where, where Moses lifts up his staff and, and a, a massive east wind comes and it blows the water and the water, the Red Sea parts to the point where there's literally like a wall of water on either side and dry ground in front of them where you go, well, I think we know what the solution is now. I think we just walk through this, right? So God's people begin to walk through, but the Egyptians decide to chase after them. But as the Israelites get to the other side and the Egyptians are, are in the spot of uh, like a wall of water on either side, God attacks them. He confuses them and ultimately the water crushes in over them and there are no survivors. Then God's word says this, but the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall on them on, on the right and their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and his servant, Moses. And then after all this happened, in, in Exodus 15, they sing a song. It's called the Song of the Sea. And, and the purpose of the song is to remember who God is and what he just did for them. We have a God who attacks evil and redeems his people. All right, so that's in Exodus. Go back to Psalm 77. The psalmist here is just remembering what God did back in Exodus. Look at verse 16 and 19. The water saw you, God. The water saw you and it trembled. Even the depth shook. Your way went through the sea and your path through the vast water, but your footprints were unseen. So the powers of the water and the depths of the sea trembled at God. The God told the water to part. And what did the water do? It obeyed. It obeyed God. And then verse 17 and 18, listen to this. The clouds poured down water. The storm clouds thundered. Your arrows flashed back and forth. And the sound of your thunder was like the whirlwind. Lightning lit up the world and earth shook and quaked. This is poetic language talking about the power and majesty of God. Thunder and earthquake, that's like the two most fearsome things that those people could think about in that day. And all of this imagery, guys, is pointing to not only the faithfulness of God's love, but also the power of the God we serve. The earth and everything in it trembles at our God. The wind and the waves obey him. This is why when Jesus walked on water, he was declaring with his actions, I am God, because only the waters bow to God alone. Creation bows to God alone. That's how the sea was parted. And Psalm 77 should cause us to be in awe of God's power. There's no obstacle too great or powerful for God to overcome. So the psalmist cries out to God. 
And then he spends time remembering and meditating on what God did. He doesn't forget what God has done for his people. And the question is this. What happens when the psalmist remembers what God has done? Ultimately, he is given confidence and hope that God will not abandon his people and his promises. Remembering God in his ancient works becomes the foundation of his faith. The psalmist here is remembering that God has been, is, and always will be faithful. And for us, we're called to do the same, to remember and meditate on what God has done, which brings us comfort and hope, even when we are fickle people, because our faith will falter at times, right? But that doesn't change who God is and what he's done. Here's the deal. I think we know, and for sure God knows, that we as people are quick to forget. The Israelites in the book of Exodus, after they were delivered from this mighty act of God, not too long after are in the wilderness complaining to Moses again, why'd you bring us out here, Moses? They've, they'd already forgotten literally what God had just done in their lives. And they're already complaining. And I really believe we do the same thing today. It's, it's easy for us to point fingers like, how could they forget? The, man, if I walked through like a sea and there was a wall of water on either side, I feel like I'd remember that. But how quick are we to do the exact same thing in our own lives, to forget what God has done? Uh, we were in our teacher's meeting and talking about some of these different passages that us teachers were teaching. And at one point in the teacher's meeting, somebody dropped this line. That was just incredible. And I, I'll, I'll just make the promise now. It will blow all of your minds. You ready? If you don't remember you will forget. <laughs> right? If you don't remember, you will forget. Like they dropped the line and we laughed, but then we're like, well, it's, it's, it's true. We have to remember to meditate and reflect on God's faithfulness. And so you might ask, well, Jordan, how do I do that? I would give you maybe a handful of categories this morning on how to actually do that in your life. And the first is very simple. It's God's word. Essentially, everything that God has done has been recorded for us. He, he has given us what he wants us to know about who he is and what he has done. So if you want to increase your faith, open up God's word and see that all that he has done. The crazy thing is the Israelites didn't have this luxury back then. You don't have to be a historian to know that the printing press wasn't invented when, you know, the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. So, Unless you had special access or had this read over to you, it was kind of like limited access to God's word. But today, we have access all the time to God's word, to remember what God has done. And I believe it's important for us, Candeo, to not only read the New Testament and what he's done through the person and work of Jesus Christ, but also the Old Testament, remembering things like the book of Exodus and what he did for the Israelites back then. I, uh, I recently, in my own kind of personal time with the Lord, started the um, 1002 Bible reading plan, which might be another mind blow. You, it actually doesn't have to be January 1st to start a Bible reading plan. Just, it's not like one day a year you have a window and whatever. So I started it and I'm in Genesis right now and I'm remembering now the God's faithfulness. I'm in, uh, you know, Abraham, uh, God's faithfulness to do the person of Abraham. That's where I'm at in Genesis right now. And whether it's a Bible reading plan or whatever you're doing, I would say open up this book and remember what God has done for you. And if there's anything 
you should remember. It is the bloody day when Jesus was crucified. Christian, when we wake up, we should remember that Christ died for us. When we drive to work, we should remember that Christ died for us. When we eat a meal, we should remember that Christ died for us. When we go play pickleball, we should remember that Christ died for us. When we go to our kids' games, we remember that Christ died for us. When we go to bed at night and put our head on that pillow, we remember that Christ died for us. Christian, the good news of the gospel is not for unbelievers. This is the air that we breathe. One commentary said it this way, it was the God of thunderstorm and earthquake who made his majestic way through the mighty waters of the sea to bring his people out of bondage. For Christians, the display of God's power on behalf of his people now includes the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this from Ephesians 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. See some of those key words there. And he says, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. If you're gonna remember anything, remember the empty tomb. Remember, Christian, that Jesus came for you, chased you down with love in his eyes. Remember your own God story, that you were dead in your sin, distant from God, deserving of his wrath, yet Jesus came for you with love in his eyes. And so now we, Christian, like the, the blind man who was healed in John chapter 9, say, all I know is this, I was blind, but now I can see. Remember the cross. Remember the empty tomb. Remember your own death to life story. So we remember and we meditate through God's word, through the gospel, but we also do this personally. We can remember other ways God has worked in our lives or maybe the lives of people you know. Again, I, I, I asked Gorms and Nissens to share with me how they were reminded of God's faithfulness in the midst of their trial and the Gormans said this, you know, as, as, as they were going through this trial, they were reminded time and time again that God was working in the midst of it all. It was, it was in the big things and in the small things that they were given these little like breadcrumbs to look back to and go, God is with us, God is with us. Cassie said it was a nurse practitioner who got the pick line in for the first time. It was a sister who answered all their medical questions and gave Cassie advice on what to do. It was friends who called and asked what they could do to help. It was having a college friend show up with the dessert after a long day in a small hospital room. It was meals from their connection group during the hospital stay when they got home. It was a coworker who said, nothing to worry about here. Take care of all the things and just keep us posted. It was grandparents and family taking the other three kids and helping keeping things as normal as possible for them. It was people persistently praying for them every step of the way. Were there doubts and questions along the way for the Gormans in this journey? Absolutely. But the Lord was planting evidences of his grace and faithfulness for them to look back to along the way. 
There, there are times absolutely when we need to look back on the ancient works of God to, to give us the courage to move forward in crisis, but there are also times we need to just remember what God literally has just done for us. And that's what they were doing. And now, as they've walked through this trial, they now have this huge anchor of all of these breadcrumbs along the way that they can look back to on how God had worked mightily in their lives and in the life of their daughter. In the words of Brian, um, there was four miracles that needed to happen. He told me he had just seen the movie Top Gun, which if you've seen it, there's three miracles in that movie. He's like, I had four. <laughs> we had four miracles. This was the four. Miracle one was that the line would not need a constant drip. Miracle two was that they could go back to Waterloo. Miracle three was that there was no long-term side effects. And miracle four, that she could come home for home health. And in the words of Brian, we got all four. Our call as believers is to constantly go back and remember what God has done. Meditate on ways, has, on ways that God has already worked in the past. And what happens when we do that is we are given confidence to move forward in our present trial. Confident that the God who did those things before has the power to do them again. However confusing and frustrating your present troubles may be, we look past the troubles and we draw hope from God's saving acts of old. Remembering God's past faithfulness fuels our present hope. A lot of you guys know that um, Casey and I are in the midst of a really big transition right now. <clears throat> and there's just been a lot of question marks. <laughs> over the last month, if I can be totally transparent. And I'm just telling you, this psalm has been a huge comfort to me as I've studied this out for this morning. Um, there's been times over the last month where we've been just like confused, discouraged, and even uh, frustrated. But I, I really appreciate the words of, of Mark Arendt, who is a pastor in our network. He said, you know, as you walk down this road of life, a lot of times you just see a lot of question marks in front of you. These big curly Q question mark with the dot, question mark, question mark, one after the other. He goes, it's amazing though, as you continue to walk with the Lord, how many times you turn around having passed the question mark and that squiggly line starts, starts to straighten a bit and it becomes an exclamation point of what God did. And now both the, the Nissans and the Gormans have clear exclamation points behind them showing God's faithfulness. Let me give you an update from them both. For the Nissans, they said, from the day we left Iowa City, um, she, Ava, began to recover really well. She quickly returned to her normal self, or <laughs> as normal as one can be at 15 days old. And follow-ups have been encouraging. We asked for continued prayer for no lasting effects from the infection and protection from future infection. Similarly, the Gorman said this, Kirsten is doing great. She's back to her super smiley, chill self. She's playing with toys and rolling around exploring. Her smiles can still bring tears to my eyes because it was over a week and a half ago that we didn't see any at all. Uh, there are still question marks in front of them. Uh, meningitis can bring a, a delay in development, and so uh, they, they're going to monitor that moving forward. And also meningitis um, can impact hearing. And so uh, Kirsten's going to have a test at the end of the month. Uh, but at this point, there's no signs of, of hearing loss. 
So there's more to their journey ahead, but this is where they're at today. And both the Gormans and the Nistans are left praising God's faithfulness. So you might ask, why do I share these stories? It's pretty simple. (laughs) Guys, I just want us to be reminded as a church family that our God is faithful. And he is good. Now we have to remember that our God is sovereign. And we are not always promised healing. God is good even when the outcome that happens wasn't our desired outcome. But Psalm 77 and the two stories I shared with you this morning of those two families just highlight for me and I think for us that God is with us in our crisis. He is not distant. He is very near. The same God who separated the waters is the same God who is walking with us today. So we can rest in him and what he's already done. So in light of this psalm, this is what I want to do. I'd love for us all to pray, remember, and meditate on what God has done. So I'm actually going to invite the the band back up, and this is what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to give you some space on your own just this morning um, to pray. And this is what I want you to focus on. I want you to reflect on what God has done. Specifically through his word, if you're reading God's word right now and you're remembering some of those things you've already recently read, maybe that's the thing you reflect on right now. Maybe it's the gospel, the good news of the cross and the empty tomb. Man, we need to sit and reflect on that every single day, Christian. Or maybe it's just something personally that God has done in your own life. What I want you to do is just take some time here on your own Just pray, reflect on those things, meditate on what God's done in your life, and then just thank the Lord for who he is and what he's done. And after a little bit, we're going to stand and we're going to worship our king together. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.